This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. This week, I sit down with Amy Gannett to talk about how our knowledge of God should lead to our worship of God and how we can engage in worship that results in less of a spiritual high and more adoration of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amy's new book, Fix Your Eyes, explores core doctrines of the Christian faith and how we can apply them to our daily worship of God. Do you struggle to worship God beyond the music? Do you desire to worship God daily, but find yourself laying down at night having thought about God very little? I have curated five simple ways to worship God every day that you can download for free by clicking the link in today's episode description or by visiting graceenoughpodcast.com slash worship. Resources and links from today's conversation can be found there as well. Good morning, Amy, and welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Thanks so much for having me. As we get going, I like to have my guests just introduce themselves, tell everybody a little bit about what you do and about your family. And, you know, we'll, we'll chat a little bit about the book, but mention it as well. Yeah, my name is Amy and my husband and I are church planters here in Eastern North Carolina. We're planting Trinity Church Greenville. Um, So a lot of my life and day is spent doing local church ministry. So we're a two-year-old church plant and um, it has been one wild ride to church plant during 2020, but it has also been great. (laughs) So um, we have a little girl named Emerson. She's 18 months old now. And I spend, um, while I spend a lot of my time with her, I'm also an author and a speaker. Um, I teach women's conferences. I teach about theology. I write verse-by-verse Bible studies um, and host an online membership where we study the Bible together verse-by-verse. And I'm also the founder of Tiny Theologians, um, which is a line of theological discipleship resources for kids ages 2 to 12. So I get to use my theology background to create flashcards primarily for kids um, on topics like theology, church history, discipleship, and biblical literacy. So that's snapshots of the different areas of my life that God's called me to. Well, and that's what ultimately really led to the writing of Fix Your Eyes. Am I correct Mm -hmm. in that assumption? Yeah, well, so much of Fix Your Eyes came out of my own need to see a bridge built between theology and worship. Here I am, you know, post-seminary, having just spent all this time in the classroom, reading all of these theological textbooks. And then fast forward several years later, I'm in the local church doing local church ministry and going, my goodness, seminary feels so long ago. And yet how we think about the things of God really impacts how we live our daily Christian lives. You know, I'm talking to women in our local church about, you know, reading their Bible. And I remember actually one woman point blank was like, okay, I know I'm supposed to read my Bible, but why? And I was like, well, you know, I kind of gave like a, you know, Christian answer or whatever. And she's like, yeah, but why, what is happening when I read my Bible? What, you know, she's not just asking like, what are the principles behind it, but what's the theology 
of the Bible. And all of a sudden I realized we need a better resource for helping people understand how theology underpins and undergirds all of their life of discipleship and worship. And as my husband and I had people purchase that said, we love theology. I'd love to learn more. We were sort of stuck with offering them like 700 page systematic theology tomes. You know, there were these big resources and there wasn't anything for the person that's just wanting to grow in theology, but at a lay level. And so fix your eyes comes out of that desire to help us not just have heads full of knowledge about God, but also hearts of worship Mm -hmm. that respond to the God we're learning about, um, but do it in an accessible way. So you don't have to go to seminary to be a theologian. You don't have to pick up a 700 page systematic theology textbook to be a theologian. I wanted to make it um, accessible and approachable. And so fix your eyes really grew out of that desire. Well, and I love that. And there's a story um, that I'll share in a little bit about my son and just this conversation after I prepared some questions to send over to you. But first, I want to start real basic for someone who may be listening. And we toss around big words like theology and doxology. And so what is theology? Yeah, theology, if you break it down, um, I always think etymology of words is really helpful. So mm-hmm. um, it comes from the Greek word theos, which is the most common word for God. Um, so theos means God and ology is just the, the suffix study you add on any word that means the study of. So biology is the study of bio or life, um, which is the Latin word for life. Theology is just the study of God, or some people have put it the study of the heart of God. So who is God in his character and nature And the term theology has just come to encompass everything that God touches. So his, his world and his church and his people. So how do we articulate things like God's triune nature? God, the Bible tells us that God is three in one. So how do we articulate that? That's really our doctrine of the Trinity. Mm -hmm. You know, what does it mean that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity was made flesh and dwelt among us. Well, that's our doctrine of the incarnation, which we call Christology. That's you know, right. what does it mean to be God's people? Well, that's a theology of the church. What does it mean to be God's family here on earth and hit, bear witness to his presence? Well, that's really our study of ecclesiology. So really theology is the study of God and everything that encompasses his world. Mm-hmm. Well, and that leads into doxology. Mm-hmm. How do you define doxology? Yeah. Doxa is um, one of my favorite words. It comes from the word for glory. It's not interesting. Doxology comes from the word for glory or praise or worship. That's why the doxology, many of us who aren't familiar with the word doxology usually can, or at least familiar with the doxology, the hymn of the Christian church, which is praise God from whom all blessings flow. It's really just the word we use to talk about our response to God, our praise or our worship of who God is. And the reason these two are so intrinsically linked is because we cannot respond or praise a God who we have no clue who he is. Because even, even the doxology, for example, says, praise God from whom all blessings flow. But I was already telling us about something, something about who God is. He is the one who is the source of every blessing. Mm-hmm. And, um, we can't just say, okay, God, I praise you, but I have no clue who you are. I have no clue what you're like. I have no clue what you do. Um, our worship has to flow from knowing who God is, but at the same time, knowing who God is necessarily has to have an outlet of worship and praise because the more we learn about God, the more we need to respond to who God is by praising him for his unchanging character. Well, and you know, Amy, what I've found, and this has come from years of 
serving in Bible study fellowship, where we start our prayer time with praise and then being in mom's groups of teaching people how to just go about praise at the beginning of your prayer life. It is hard for people Mm. to grasp. What does it mean to praise God? Not thank him. That Mm -hmm. also is a spiritual discipline, but what are we praising him for and how I love what you've written because it flows out of you look in his word. And that's where we even can see God Mm -hmm. is a God of wisdom. We praise Mm -hmm. you, God, because you are an all knowing almighty God, you know, there's all Mm -hmm. of these things. And so what, you know, when you say they, one informs the other, Mm -hmm. what all do you mean by that? And kind of, how do you lay that out in the book? Like when we read something and we know God, how do we take that into a place of praising him? Well, I think that actually, if we work backwards, if I, if I'm going to take your question, I sort of as I hear your question, I think there's somebody listening that is hearing this and kind of goes like, I kind of don't buy it. Like I kind of don't buy it that knowing God actually leads to worship or that worship has to be informed by theology. So for that person or to that person, I would um, really humbly suggest that there are a lot of things that we do every single day that are responses to things that we believe. The food I put on the table for my family really is the result of probably a hundred little preferences or decisions that I've made based off of information that I have. So I know my daughter is probably not going to eat certain vegetables if they're raw. Um, But I also know she loves macaroni and cheese, but I also know that macaroni and cheese is not the most nutritious, but I also know that if I mix in steamed veggies with her mac and cheese, she's more likely to eat it. So we can think about all these tiny little pieces of information that we have, things that we believe about the world. Um, And we're actually, every decision that we make throughout the day is the culmination of us acting on things that we believe to be true. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't spend my money in way, you know, based off of um, like every, every financial decision I make is based off of a belief that I have in some ways. And so the same is just true of God. When we praise God, we're praising him for who we know him to be or who we've seen him reveal himself in scripture to be. And the same is true when we fail to praise God or we fail to worship God. If we find ourselves in our spirits resisting praising God, it's also the result of things that we believe to be true. And so as we write our theology of God, we're actually going to find it necessarily flowing into praise of who God is. So um, one example in my own heart and life has been that God has reoriented so much of what I believe about the church through the process of church planting. I shared mm-hmm. with, um, I've shared with many in many different contexts that a lot of times when you step into the church planting world, all the books that are available are sort of like marketing books, you know, like how to launch a church service and how to recruit people and stuff like that. And as you read them, all of a sudden you start to think, I think we've forgotten what it means to be the church. Mm-hmm. If we're planting a church, what we're doing is we're not just looking for people who want to support the vision of this church. What we're doing is actually saying, well, if God has called people from every nation, tongue, and tribe, our church should reflect that. And that means there's going to be diversity of thought and diversity of culture mm. and diversity of life choices. And there's going to be this diversity in our body. But you read some of these church planting books and all of a sudden you think that everybody should look just like the church planters. And I just think that a lot of times we've forgotten 
what God actually says about what it means to be the church. So as we write our theology, we're actually going to make proper decisions based on um, seeing these things in the world as God sees them. As we see the church, as God sees the church, we're going to actually do life and ministry in the church, engage God's people differently as a result. And that is a way we're living out our theology. So when we say we get, we give praise to God or we worship God, a lot of times you and I are only thinking of worship songs or we're mm-hmm. only thinking of, you know, the praise section of, um, you know, Bible study or whatever, but pray, giving praise and honor to God is really just ascribing to him the glory due his name. And you and I both know in our bones that the hardest place to do that is in a life of lived of praise, a life of That's obedience, right. a life of giving glory to God. And so we're actually going to find ourselves living lives of discipleship that give glory and give praise to God because it's flowing from God having revealed himself to us in his word for who he is. That is good theology that leads into deep worship of God. Well, and when we were talking earlier and you said, you know, the, the lady who asked you, like, why does it matter that I read this, that I read the word and does it really make a difference? I love how you point out like all these little decisions throughout mm. our day, throughout our lives inform everything we think, say, and that's do. That's right. And so if you're not, I mean, like, that's why the word of God is so important because we want it to form what Mm -hmm. we think, know, and do toward God, not necessarily what everyone around us is thinking about God, saying about God and doing for or not for him. So I love that. And I think, I think we feel that with our kids, like when parents want to intentionally disciple their kids, they go, oh my goodness, my kids are going to either develop scriptures view of God or the world. Mm -hmm. Like we realize our kids get to a certain age and we realize, oh, they have a view of God. Whoops. Is it a scriptural view of God? Is it when I have taught them or have they just picked it up from all these different places that influence them? So with our kids, we think that way, which is totally appropriate. That's why I created Tiny Theologians. I'm a big believer in intentionally discipling your kids, teaching them about the God of the Bible. But a lot of times we don't stop and ask ourselves the same questions about our own view of God. Do I believe that God is, um, God alone is limitless or am I listening to all of these like sort of cheap girl boss movements that are like, if you just try hard enough, you can also be limitless. I mean, we actually have to stop and ask ourselves, am I living out of real knowledge of who God is? Um, Am I letting who God has revealed himself to be in his word fuel and fill me for the life that he has called me to? Because the truth is, is we're just going to find, and and this is not prosperity gospel language. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We're just going to find that life life is better. Like it's richer when we know God and live our lives in response to him. And that doesn't mean that we will be without suffering. It does not mean that we'll be healthy, Mm -hmm. wealthy, and wise. Scripture doesn't promise us that. But what it does tell us is that when we live our lives of praise and worship to God, that that proximity to the heart of God is going to give us everything that we need for the life that he's called us to. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the story that I was thinking of earlier, so I had looked through and just really started processing through what you were saying about theology and doxology and how the two go together. And my son, my oldest son had come in and he was going over his memory verse for school. And so as he recited it to me, I said, okay, what do you see in those verses about who God is? And even at 11 years old, and we've had these conversations before, he thought about about it for a while. 
And really what he ended up saying back to me was still the way he was supposed to act, what God was asking Mm. him to do. And it really made me think it doesn't always come naturally to praise Mm. God beyond the music. And so I asked him because it was in Proverbs and the verse, I've got it pulled up right here. And it says, for the Lord gives wisdom. And then one of the other ones is, it says, oh, that he is a shield. And I said, do you remember those two Mm. parts? He was like, yeah, mom. I'm like, well, then that's your praise of God. (laughs) Right. And so I guess that's my question for you. When you think about, we want this to be more than just a corporate worship experience where we sing songs to God, which is incredible. We want to do that as well. But, um, you know, how do you encourage maybe even in your local church people to take it beyond that corporate worship and make it more of something lived day in and day out? Um, well, let's camp on this topic of reading our Bibles. Cause I think yeah. it's a great example of how that works itself out and it kind of you can apply these principles to lots of different areas of life of how what we know informs how we live our lives but I think this is a great example because um, when we a lot of time think about God's word a lot of people either tend to think about one or two things they either think it's really confusing and it's sort of dated um, but I should read it Mm -hmm. or people think it's a law and that they probably should read it but both of those things, if that's what I believe scripture is, um, it really doesn't draw me with desire to read the word of God. <laughs> yeah. um, but I would say that's a really poor theology of scripture. Um, I unpack this in Fix Your Eyes. We have a whole chapter devoted to bibliology, which is the study of scripture. What is it? What is the Bible in its own nature? A lot of times when we have one of these two approaches, what we're thinking scripture is doing is speaking predominantly to us and is predominantly about how we need to change our behavior right and so we read the book of James and it's like consider it pure joy my brothers and experience trials of many kinds and we're like ah, another person I'm failing yeah right (laughs) you know or we read the old testament and we're like this doesn't make a bit of sense why can this goat not be slaughtered and cooked in its mother's milk like that doesn't make a bit of sense to me this is so outdated it has no relevance to my daily life So when we think that scripture is either law or we think it's archaic and outdated and has nothing to do with us in our day-to-day lives, our default is one of lacking joy and lacking enthusiasm. But what scripture, scripture actually tells us what it is. Um, It actually tells us what it's for um, and how it's to be used. But predominantly when scripture refers to itself, it's telling us what it is and what scripture is by nature is God's self-revelation. So we see that God spoke throughout the Old Testament to his people through prophets. You know, a prophet would um, have the spirit empowered by the spirit of God, would speak to God's people for a specific, in a specific time, for a specific people, for in a specific place. They'd prophesy and remind God's people, remember the ways of God, obey the commands of God. Um, they would, you know, sort of speak these different, sometimes they were predictive prophecies. Like if you do this, then this will happen. If you do this, then this will happen. And we see those all play out um, in the old Testament, but there were these mouthpieces of God throughout the old Testament. Well, then we come to the end of the old Testament and we see that at the close of these books of the prophets, Malachi closes, and we find that there's 400 years of silence, you know, God does not speak. And the next thing that we know in our biblical history is that the word of God 
was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ himself was sent as the better and truer prophet, right? He Mm -hmm. is the actual mouthpiece of God made flesh, um, coming to bear witness to who God is. Prophets did that in miniature, but Jesus has come to do it in full. And so we see that Jesus actually says, I've come to reveal God um, to God's people. And scripture tells us that every word of God proves true. And that scripture is God's self-revelation. Um, I share this example in Fix Your Eyes in the chapter on bibliology. But when I was a kid, we had this puppet theater um, that my uncle built for us. And, you know, it's just sort of simple three pieces of wood, hole cut in the middle, and they had curtains. And my aunt made us a slew of puppets. We put on all kinds so of puppets. It was so much fun, literally. <laughs> I mean, we have so many memories. I'm sure we got um, so many standing ovations that we did not deserve because I'm sure they didn't make them. These puppet shows didn't make a bit of sense that we put on. But anyway, now having it says every child, parent um, ever. Yeah, yeah. I I, ha- I guarantee that at the time they were so fun, but now as a parent, I'm like, oh my goodness, those parents were so patient with us. Oh yeah. Um, but you know, our favorite part at the end of every puppet show was we'd close the curtains you know, pull down our puppets or whatever. And everybody would put their faces, you know, right where the puppets had been and pull them back. And it was sort of like the ta-da, like the end, you know, it was like where we expected our standing ovation, I guess. You know, we would have our faces beaming there, you know, waiting for their applause at the end of the show. And a lot of times when we approach scripture, we approach scripture sort of like a narrator who's like pointing to these different characters in the puppet show, kind of explaining what's happening. Um, This is a story about Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and this happened. But actually scripture says that it's not this narrator standing to the side explaining Mm -hmm. what's happening. Scripture is actually pulling back the curtains and God himself is beaming through the pages of his word. It's actually, scripture is pulling back the curtain and God is saying, this is who I am. This is my character. This is my nature. Mm -hmm. This is what I do. And why does God do that? Because he wants us to know him. Mm -hmm. So from the very outset, of our bibliology, our study of God's word, we learn two major things about the heart of God, two major theological truths. One, God wants us to know him. That should boggle our minds um, as limited, fallen, sinful creatures who were created by this God with human limits, who could not know God on their own. We could not, we tried to build the Tower to Babel in the Old Testament and we failed miserably right? We cannot ascend to the heavens. God himself had to come down and he did in the person of Jesus. Why? Because he wants us to know him. So even just knowing that we could not know God, but he wanted to know, he wanted us to know him and he did something about it. He was the one who broke that silence. That makes us go, God, thank you. Thank you Mm -hmm. for being a speaking God. Thank you for being a God of words and self-revelation. A God who wanted us to know him. And the second thing that it teaches us is that God himself is actually expressed in the pages of scripture. So when we pick up our Bibles, we actually need to have less of this perspective of like, oh, the, you know, scripture is going to correct me today and tell me how I'm not doing anything right. We actually should show up first before we're there to be corrected, which scripture will correct us. Don't get me wrong. It's going to tell us how to live lives according to the word of God. But we show up first to learn who God is and to see his character on every single page. And then we say, God, make me more like yourself. 
So I actually think when we come begrudgingly to the pages of God, God's word, as if it's just an empty habit that we go through the motions of, we actually are probably believing something about the Bible that just isn't true. But when we mm-hmm. believe that it's God's self-revelation, where he shows himself to be um, this unchanging God of unfathomable character, and that he wants to know us in the pages of scripture, I mean, he wants us to know him in the pages of scripture, that is just going to naturally cause our hearts um, to rejoice. It's going to mm. cause us to praise God. And when we really believe that, gosh, those little choices that we make every day, we're going to find ourselves going, yeah, I do want to know this God. Yeah, I do want to spend pages, uh, time in the pages of scripture. I do need wisdom. God, you are wisdom. Show me in your mm. word what I should do in this situation. It's actually going to propel us into a life of studying scripture, but it's going to reorient us in the way that we do it. Have you listened to Compelled Podcast? It is one of my absolute favorites. They use gripping, immersive storytelling to celebrate the powerful ways God is transforming the lives of His people around the world. There's music, sound effects, the whole nine yards. One of my favorite stories is with Hannah Overton, a homeschooling mother of five children who was falsely accused of murder and sentenced to life in prison. But instead of growing bitter, she chose to share the gospel with her fellow inmates. Her testimony is so powerful and so inspiring. You can listen to Hannah's story and many more like it by searching for Compelled on your favorite podcast player or by visiting compelledpodcast.com. Now back to this week's conversation with Amy Gannett. Well, and so my question would be a little bit of a follow-up there is I personally feel like even if it's a habit that you come to somewhat begrudgingly, that it's still an absolutely vital habit to develop Mm. because you cannot engage in the word of God and be unchanged. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. Would you expound on that at all? Do you agree with that? Because I do think so much of it is you've got to develop a habit because until you develop, develop a habit, it doesn't become something that you routinely engage in. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, I think that actually comes back to what scripture is. So if we come to it begrudgingly, it's probably because we have a bad theology of the Bible, but where actually do we learn about the Bible? Where do we actually learn about who God is? It's in the pages of scripture. Mm -hmm. Are we going to unfold all of that in our first 15 minutes reading scripture? No. Do we need to come back to it again? Yes. And do we need to come back to it again and again and let the spirit do the work in our hearts of unfolding his word to us day by day? Yes. And so it's sort of like, think about any other area of study. So let's say a biologist is like, gosh, I, I just really don't have the desire to explore this new area of medicine. You know, it's probably because this new area of medicine is boring, right? No, actually a lot of biologists would say, okay, let's get some samples. Let's, you know, look at some slides, let's dissect some things, let's lean into it and explore this area because I probably feel like this is boring because I'm not that close to it. You know, any scientist when they start looking at stuff up close, gosh, doesn't it change your perspective? Um, But sometimes in our area of study of God's word, we think, oh, my heart has to be in it first. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, otherwise it's not genuine. Well, actually we find that the only place we get genuine hearts of worship is from God. Mm -hmm. And so as we spend time with him, 
Um, we can trust him to do that work in our hearts by the spirit. But if we wait on our own to muster up that kind of affection for God, that kind of desire and delight, it's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, think about spending time with a spouse. You know, when you Absolutely. feel engulfed in your marriage, you feel like there's this space between us. I don't know what to do. I mean, do you solve it by saying, okay, well, like, let's just spend the weekend apart. No, that's, <laughs> that's a death sentence for a marriage that's in crisis. Yeah. Um, instead, what you do is you say, I feel this distance between us. We should spend some time together. Let's talk. Mm-hmm. Let's spend time getting to know each other again. That's what we do in our normal relationship. So why would it be that much different with our relationship with God? Such an awesome perspective because you're right. There's nothing in life. I think that sometimes with God, we just expect things to happen. Well, he's God. Mm. So he just magically drops things into our lives. And it's Mm. like, well, he's, he's not, yes, he does continuously work in our lives. But if we wanted to run a marathon, you don't just wait until, okay, the week before I'm going to go out and run 26.2 miles. I mean, it is very much a cultivation over time of relationship with God. And so I really love that. Well, and I love how Jen Wilkin puts it. She Mm -hmm. says, she talks about a lot of people approach scripture like, Hey, I'm not in a crisis right now. So why do I need to speak God's word? And she talks about like, you're putting it in the bank because someday you're going to need to make a withdrawal. And she's right. We study God's word today. Um, even when maybe we don't feel that we need God's wisdom, maybe we don't feel desperate for his wisdom, but let's sit in the book of Proverbs, saturate ourselves in the wisdom of God's ways. And then when we come to a crisis where we need wisdom, we're just going to have so much more to draw upon because we spent that time Mm -hmm. in God's word. Yeah. Well, so Amy, as we begin to close out here, when you think about fix your eyes, what is really your greatest hope for the book being put out into the world? Well, I have two. So I, I, I can't answer the greatest hope because really I have two ambitions with this book and I yeah. couldn't pick a favorite if I had to. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Share both. <laughs> the first is just that those who have said, I really, I think I could like theology, you know, I've heard enough people talking about it. I've heard like, I've sort of been curious to grow in the things of God or people that say, I really want a reason for the hope that I believe like scripture testifies. Um, I, I, for that person, I pray that it's, it's a solid foundation for them, um, to know the essentials, um, of the Christian faith. This book really covers the primary topics of theology. So, um, I promise you, we just don't get into the weeds right now. There are so many Christians talking in online spaces about non-essentials and we need people talking about those things so people talking about how faith informs politics or faith informs um our social choices or how faith informs um marriage or how we spend our money or all of these things those things are good and we need people talking about those things but for the person that's like hold on hold on hold on what are the essentials What are the primary things? What are the first things of faith for the person that wants that is either curious or just sort of needs an anchor for those Mm -hmm. primary things? I pray this book book serves them well. We cover the major topics 
um, doctrine, the major doctrinal issues of the Christian faith and the things that Christians have agreed upon throughout church history. So mm-hmm. we're not getting into, should you baptize babies? Should you baptize adults? Like that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is what does it mean to be the church? What does God say in his word about the church? What does God's word say about his return? Um, not when it's happening or what nations are going to be represented. We're talking about is Jesus coming back and what does he say about his return and what is the life after death for believers and what is life after death for those separated from Christ. We're talking about the essentials. So and how that like, views and how that informs our yes, view of him. It totally does. Um, and so for the person that's aching for something like that, I pray that it really serves them well. Um, and then also for the person who's wired like me in the back of my mind, I've known um, there are a lot of people that are going to read this because they're theologically minded. Mm-hmm. Um, but our theology has to have somewhere to go. Um, it has to have an outworking in our daily lives. Otherwise theology will pop puff us up with pride. Um, We can be so impressed with ourselves that we know a bunch of factoids about God, Mm. but the truth is, is if we're not living it out in daily lives of worship, it's not actually truth about God that's changing our lives. And so I pray for the person who says, I love theology and yet my heart of affection for God runs Mm. cold. For that person, I pray that it's a, it's a tool that God uses to thaw them through and warm them through with affection of God, seeing how these um, truths about God actually change our lives and actually help us respond to God and worship. Um, I pray that for the person that just has a lot of knowledge, um, mm-hmm. but not a warm heart of worship, I pray that it's one of the things that the Lord uses to yeah. restore their affections for God. Mm, I love that. Well, last question, because this podcast is called grace enough, you know, how have you seen the grace of God be enough in your own personal life? Hmm. Well, in this season of church planting, um, church planting in really unexpected circumstances, you know, of 2020 feeling like there's been so much uncertainty. My husband and I are planners. Okay. Like through and through, we like to be prepared and have a strategy and plan for everything, for our our finances, for um, the home that we buy, for our family, for the way we get. I need you in my life. (laughs) Girl, we are just planners. And uh, well, it has its own downfalls, I'll tell you. Um, But we have felt some of those uh, some of the difficulties of being planners in 2020, you know, as we, we launched our church late in 2019 mm. and then we stepped into spring of 2020, had our first baby and lockdown started. And we were like, this was not the plan. This was just not the plan, but in the mind of God, none of this has been a surprise. And so relying daily on the grace of God, um, to be our identity, our identity is fundamentally not found in our church plant. Our identity yeah. is not found in whether or not others think that this church plant is successful or not. Um, our identity is found in being found in Jesus and wow. being sustained by his grace. Um, so I think in a lot of the unpredictable circumstances of 2020, we have relied on the grace of God more than we would have otherwise, which means that those circumstances themselves have been a blessing because they've propelled us into um, the bosom of Christ. It really has pushed us into um, his shepherding care of us. Mm -hmm. Mm. Well, Amy, thanks so much. I'm excited to share this book with my audience and I'll make sure that I point them in your direction, even on Instagram. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Don't forget to get your free download, Five Simple Ways to Worship God Every Day 
at graceenoughpodcast.com slash worship or by clicking the link in today's episode description. You can also find links to Amy's website and her book, Fix Your Eyes, by clicking the same link. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.